And we're live. Welcome everybody back to the Deceive Reality Podcast. I'm David Peace with Steve Spade, and we have a special guest this time. Our favorite guest, because he's our first guest, oh. is Will Roberts. Steve, do you want to tell everybody a bit about Will? Yeah, so Will is um is an actor and he's a magician, he's a gunslinger, he's a jack of all trades, and in his own words, a master of none. You said it, not me. Um, <laughs> but uh, we're, we're delighted to have you on the show, Will, and thanks for popping in. I, I'm absolutely thrilled, and I'm glad that uh, you guys are where you're at. Um, I will tell you that I will try to decipher what the hell you're saying, because those accents, are they New York accents? Yeah, we're putting on New York accents, yeah. It says that you can do a Dublin accent a Mexican accent, uh, accent, sorry, and uh, and a Russian accent. Is that all at the same time, or is it at just... the same time? Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I, call that, I call that my convenience store accent. <laughs> <laughs> That's an American joke. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's amazing the time difference going on here, all the way from Ireland to California. So it's it's nearly our bedtime here. <laughs> we, I know. We need, hear, we need to hear this Dublin accent, man. Come on, we need to hear it. Well, I, I did a show called Da, and me Da, and I was I played Sean O'Casey, and I was in Ireland. So it, it, it was a while ago, but I know that uh, I'm probably not doing it as well as I used to. But I did study, and I do a lot of voiceovers. So when I do voiceovers, and you're probably saying, "Oh, you're Scotland, not Ireland." So anyway, that's <laughs> nice. It's an attempt. It's better than any accent I can do. Anytime I try to do any accent, it goes posh British, and that's all I can do. <laughs> Even if I try any accent, eventually it'll just sound posh British accent. That's funny. That's better than sounding cockney. Yeah. Or a pirate. Yeah. <laughs> nice. That's great. So, uh, Will, tell us about how you got into magic to begin with. Well, well, I was in prison. I mean, um, <laughs> uh, making license plates and they went, no, uh, actually, you know, the interesting story about how I got started out in magic. And by the way, just so you know, I know we'll be able to say this later on, but I am running and created a site called basicsofmagic.com, which is really the basics of magic and getting people to learn what I believe the discipline we've lost about magic, which is keeping the secret the performance parts of it. And you and I, Steve, have talked about it on my show. But anyway, uh, we'll talk about that later. I started, boy, oh boy, uh, I was about 16 or 17. I was a hardcore skater. I mean, like half pipe. I'm here in Santa Cruz, California. So I was like Dogtown Skates and Shobu Cabo and Peral Peralta. I was emptying pools and jumping in them and, you know, skating them and BMX and uh, smoking a lot of weed. <laughs> so uh, I, I basically uh, at that point in my life, uh, I, I walked into a magic shop, which I'd always been really very uh, enthralled with. Uh, I remember as a kid in Chicago, because I'm from Chicago, Illinois, 60616 Southside. Um, I walked into a place called PJ's Tricks and Things, and it was all over, you know, the smell the you know the the cards and the and the tricks and the things and anyway, you know you know what I mean, yeah. 
I walked into that place. I walked into a place called Zucchini's Tricks and Things about 40 years ago and went, wow, this is awesome. And I never left. You know, I was one of those people that walked in the magic shop that every time I came there, you know, by the time it was uh, a little while along, they would basically look at me and go, you've seen all the tricks, Will. Now it's time for you to do them. So I'd either bought everything or seen everything. So um, I kind of got started by uh, the owner saying, if you're going to hang out here, well, how would you like a job? And it was probably one of the best experiences of my life because, you know, as a performer, a magician, an actor, one of the first things that I was told by a very wise old really kind of an asshole magician a guy named Roy Slater. He was a biker, had tattoos, was a circus guy. Uh, rest in peace, wherever he's at. Uh, he says, the only way you're ever going to become a really good magician is by becoming a good actor. And so with that being said, I launched into that and spent, I don't know, uh, 25, 30 years in musical theater. I danced semi-professionally. I've worked for Cirque du Soleil for four years, uh, you know, uh, a bunch of different things I did, but I can say without a doubt that that person was right. I jumped in. I wound up doing a lot of improv. I, I'm a balloon artist. And so I was doing like different Mexican restaurants every weekend, no money, because I'm actually a, uh, a career performer and I didn't have any jobs to jump back to and very little education. And basically, uh, I started, you know what, 38 something years ago. And hence, here we are back uh, uh, full circle. Basics of Magic is something I am doing for the brick and mortar Zucchini Strixen thing, which is located on Cannery Row in Monterey, California, because I realized one with Corona and stuff like that. He just told me I'm going to have to shut the doors. I'm like, hold up. So that's how I started. Long version. <laughs> yeah, man, it's, a, it's an amazing career. I definitely, uh, the acting is so important as well, because even when I was starting, especially to move towards stage, I went and got acting classes for over a year mm -hmm. and learned the improv and all that sort of stuff. And it, it is the old quote of a magician is an actor playing the part of a magician, because that's where the presentation is. It's not about the moves. Once you have the moves down, it's all about how you actually act the magic. Yeah. You know, uh, interesting thought uh, or uh, side note to what you said was I was working in Cirque du Soleil and the guy, the other cowboy, because it was a cowboy act. And, uh, you know, it's a hundred and eighty million dollar show. And the main guy that was cast, I was sort of the secondary, but then became one of the two because they went, yeah, this isn't working. You being there and you being back up, create an act with two people. He was uh, twenty five and I was forty six. And um, I was like working out like I was in prison, six pack at least, maybe five pack. Uh, but the point is, is that I was working out hard and, and every day he would be doing different things and filming. It. And I go, what are you doing, Luke? Guy's name is Luke, the trick roper, go figure. And he goes, I'm working on my new demo. I'm like, dude, <laughs> you realize because we're in Cirque du Soleil, we're literally one of the best in the world at what we do. And he's like, I know, but I need a new demo. I'm like, dude. You could do one trick. I could do one trick really well, and people will go, damn, you're a magician, or you're a trick roper, or you're a clown. As long as you present one thing, I don't care if it's basics, and you do it so well that it's second nature, and people go, wow. That's why we practice so much all the flourishes and things, so we can do it looking like we can't. And then when we need to, we can go, boom. And I've always been a firm believer that, again, performance is the key. 
And you could do five tricks, literally strolling for a career. Hmm. Done that. And, uh, and literally, and I worked in a magic shop and literally uh, that could be a career. I'm not saying that you're going to become the next Lance Burton doing that, but you certainly can be a recognized performer doing uh, stuff like this. That's the difference between though an amateur and a professional, I think, is, you know, an amateur will do 100 tricks, but none of them very well, you know, and a professional will do maybe 10 and, and part of their working repertoire. People like Paul Daniels, for, for example, made yeah. a living on Lincoln Rings, Chop Cup, you know, all, all the classics, but they made him very much his own. Yeah. And, you know, a, a thought on that, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, most variety acts, you guys know this they do their acts probably for 10 years and not change anything. But here's the thing. I heard this about uh, Tim Conway, who is the comedian in, you know, uh, what do you call it? Tim Conway and whatever his name is, the Carol Burnett show. He said, you know, I've been doing the same act for 30 years. I did this act every year as a benefit for this place in LA. And, and every year people would come up and go, man, what an awesome new act you have. And he's like, I didn't do a new act. It's the same act. The, the, the quality that a professional has to be able to say, this is the trick I'm going to do, and then do it over and over again and have people think that they did something different is the key. In yeah. my opinion. I think as well, it will be different over time just because if you watch yourself three years ago and think, that was great. You, you haven't learned in three years. So <laughs> even like I, I find myself, I go back and watch performances of tricks I did ages ago that I didn't think I've changed and realize I don't do the same moves anymore. I don't use the same pattern anymore. It's actually a completely different trick. But in my head, I haven't changed anything. I'm the well, same with that. The old um, the TV footage from RTE, like I'm the same with that. Now I cringe when I see it because I wasn't as a, a not even polished, but it just it felt kind of forced. And it looks kind of forced, you know, it doesn't, now I'd be very laid back. I'd be like, you know, put it in your hand, it's going to melt, blah, 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 you know, and I'd right. just go well, through the routine. In magic, I call that, and I believe one of the biggest um, assets you can get or develop in magic is confidence. And I think, Steve, you and I have talked about this because, look, if you're over the going, okay, everybody, and you're trying to do weird misdirection shit, can I swear on this, Bill? Yeah. Um, Good. Um, Where you kind of do like you know weird stuff, and you're doing the move. Uh, yeah. When you start ironing that out, you start realizing that you're connecting, and you kind of go, "Yeah," and you did the move. It's the the key is that you really got not only that over time you've done it enough, but you have confidence that you gain through doing it because magic is so hard because you're talking about a skill that you can't let them see in the midst of bringing them into a story or a moment that you are doing. And then you have to find a way to ho hold them to be able to do something that looks natural. So, I mean, it's not like you're acting. It's like you have to know what you're doing and, and then kind of just do it and hold them in to the conversation. I don't think that made a lot of sense, but I think you get what I'm saying. No, it's, like, it's like a spoiler alert, but I remember when I watched back one of the, one of the clips, I, um, I was doing a routine and I did three top changes in a row on live TV. And I was like, what am I thinking? You know what I mean? Why? You know, there's no resurrection with TV. Um, so, yeah. But you learn from these things. I got away with it. It's cool. Yeah. 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 You, you can't miss the camera. It doesn't work. And yeah, that, yeah. that you have to be aware of now is that anytime you're performing, 
everybody has a camera in their pocket and somebody's probably recording you. And you can misdirect them, but their camera is there. And on YouTube, you can slow stuff down to frame by frame. So yeah. it's, you have to yeah. always be very careful now, I think. Well, you know, that's where, again, I get back sort of to the basics of magic and the sense that, like, I watch... We all watch a lot of stuff we see. I, it's called Instagram magic. I call it crotch magic because you see this and you, <laughs> and you look at someone's crotch and, and no one does any performance. The problem with that stuff is, is that when you get live, you're dead in the water because you don't know how to relate to the fact that there's a 360 element or at least a 180 and you're doing something. And then, you know what I mean? You're not, you don't understand the, the perimeter it's like being a, a, a sniper or being a, 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 I don't know, what do you call it? A coat not a co-op, but a, you know, you, you basically have to be aware of all your surroundings. So you don't get hit martial arts. Same thing with magic. You know, if you're doing it on a screen the whole time, you're like, Oh, that didn't look good. Let me try this angle. You, you, when you get live, <clears throat> there's nothing, there's no you there a lot. It's true. It's true. There's a lot of that meaning, meaning like, if they go into the real world and the guy is like, "Oh, give me the cards. I want to shuffle them, or I'll put it in myself, or well, all that, all those, all the good, all the good bits that make you a better magician," meaning yeah. they'll, they'll they'll die on their feet, you know. Yeah, you know, handing that's... something to someone, the more precious you are with your stuff, the more people be suspicious. Like, even if it's a gimmick deck and you have it in order or something, and someone goes, "Can I shuffle?" Say yes and do a different trick rather than saying no to keep your mnemonic stack. You know, yeah. it's like. That definitely just let it happen. You know, it's kind of like, and I have nothing but the most uh, respect for Shim Lin or whatever his name is, but, you know, that's black art, a lot of it. And it's like, you ain't going to be doing that busking. I mean, you're not going to do that on the streets. I mean, uh, the hard part is, is that if you're doing black art <clears throat> puppet theater, the minute you take away the, the, the that uh, atmosphere and that specific lighting, same with Instagram magic or TikTok magic. You you can't, you know, replicate that as well. So that's where I believe we do need to have the basics. Like you said, David, you have to be able to bob and weave. And if you can't, then you're a one-trick pony. Guys, I think Shin Lim's a great example of that. When you see him on, like, America's Got Talent, he's doing his full dream act. But then when he's on the Ellen Show or Jimmy Kimmel, he's just doing the basics really well. But a lot of people who will watch that will go learn that and never actually go back and learn the basics yeah. and not realize that you can't do that in, in every environment. It's okay to have acts that are specific for certain environments, but if you're a magician, I always think you should be able to do magic at any time with anything. Absolutely. And, you know, another good person to recognize is, and again, I don't think we're saying any disrespect for any of these magicians, but um, Chris Angel. You know, I had a big, I worked for Cirque du Soleil. I'm like, yeah, my wife's like, hey, let's go see Chris Angel's act. I'm like, nah, nah. She's like, why not? I go, uh, seven of the tricks I just saw I used to sell at the magic shop. And they were like scotch and soda. Or, you know, like, I feel like I'm looking at a ball vase. And it's like, okay, I don't mean to be disrespectful because guess what? He hit it. He got the right moment. He hit it. He's done it. He's done some great work in his life. Uh, but I'm just saying... That, that that same sort of thing happened back in the like the 80s when people would look at Copperfield and go, yeah, he's a button pusher. But, you know, respect. You, you, you got someone to spend billions of dollars on you 
to put in all the lightings and the effects and everything because it's entertainment. So that's your deal. But if you can't walk into a room and they go, uh, hey, can you do a trick? And you go, yeah, uh, can you need that salt shaker and give me a napkin and a coin? Then, yeah, again, you're a one-trick pony. I think if, if it's that moment as well when someone's like, oh, I saw you on such and such or I saw you on stage before or something and they stop you on the street or they stop you at an, another event and they're like, do something now and you're not really like set up to do something. Even when you go reaching in your pocket to take out a deck of cards or something, if you can't pick up something right there and then and do something, you, you, that all that momentum is gone. They've kind of lost the the moment. Of, oh, he's not really a magician. He's kind of just does tricks or whatever. And you yeah. always want them to think, you know, the mystery element in it, like. Yeah, you. Yeah, you ring are, magic is so good for that. Yeah, you go. I always wear rings, and you always. I always have something on me, and even some magic apps. You always have your phone on you. You can do it. Yeah. You can always go into. Dave, Dave likes to do. Dave likes to do his coin roll in every video so far. So fucking go on there. Oh, Ooh, there that's awesome. Six that's months of my life. Uh, my favorite. My favorite one, and I can't do it. This one is being able to take this and then hit it, and it's back on the finger. Can't do it, but you obviously have to have a big ass ring. And every time I do, I go, "Hey, everybody! Oh, there goes my damn ring!" Um, but uh, you know, I, I again, I, I just say that you, that's why it's important for us as magicians to be able to constantly be trying to do different things and create different stuff. I I make it clear that I am more of a performer than a magician, although I've been doing it a long time. Mainly, like in my act as a, I call it the honest huckster. Uh, you know, I'm very traditional. It's like 18, 1900s and all my stuff's real and legit. But I took my cowboy stuff like a whip and I uh, break up a piece of paper a woman's holding into like 600 pieces. And then I take it. She signed it. And then I go, boom. You know, I don't really care if you get the trick part. But the fact that I'm using all these other things, it's not a trick until the very, very end. Because I would rather do something that people go, man, that was funny and entertaining. And wow, he did a trick too. That's kind of yeah. cool. So that's it's my. Nice to, it's nice to use another skill set in your magic to show that it's not just magic, that there's skill and different levels of skill involved as well. Absolutely. Hold on. Oh, I forgot it. What did I say? He's gone. He's gone. <laughs> you offended him. We love Chris Angel. <laughs> He's going back. Oh, that goes everything, and I'm in my closet. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, I'm in my closet. You know That's what? That's the appearing closet trick. I'm always working here because my studio's in here. Every once in a while, my wife will knock on the door. Honey, come out of the closet. <laughs> Get it? Out of the closet. <laughs> Sorry. That's a Hollywood joke, I guess. <laughs> so, you know, like I will... So for anyone watching, the backdrop fell and he pulled a gun out of a box. <laughs> so these are called Ruger Vaqueros. Uh, they yeah. are real. And uh, so I have a Guinness World Records. So are we getting into that yet? And these are real. Uh, but what I do is during my act, because I've got them on my sidearm and I'm doing all kinds of really cool tricks and flipping over my shoulder and so on and all that stuff and balancing it and spinning it up like that, all that different stuff, is I wind up doing it, but I, I do this to say I'm going to warm up, and, and then I do uh, say I'm going to grab a, a volunteer, and I get a kid up on stage, and I go, okay, we're going to see who the fastest draw is. And actually, it's a disguise because I go, here, you're, and I go, I'm not really going to give that to you, but let me warm up. And then I do my thing, and I go, oh, they go, oh, dude's awesome with guns. And then I put them away, and I actually do Slidini silks. You know Slidini silks? Yeah. 
So what I do is I have two cylinders, which are actually bar flare. So I do a little bar flare and I go, you have a cup, I have a cup. What we're going to do, young man, is I'm going to tie the knot here. I have two sets of the silks and I'm going to put the knot in here in this end, leaving the ends over the side. Same on yours. Let's do it. Really tight knot. Is that good? Yes, it is. On the count of three, pull it up. Whoever can untie the knot first is the fastest in the West. Two out of three. So we do it. I pull it up. His is already done. Do it again. His is already done. In the end, I produce a Coke bottle. The point is, is that it is not about the gun spinning, but I like to be able to add that in there because I think it adds a different element that I don't think anybody's doing as far as I know right now. I think so, the gun spinning is great for, it's definitely a Hector stopper. I mean, like we're getting a lot of slack uh, at the moment from haters on, on the show. So, I mean, if we get to IP dresses, you can more than, you know, you can definitely shoot them. There's no problem. Yeah. I, I usually don't have a problem with that or uh, I don't think I have it, but my whips, I usually, if someone that gives me any shit, I'm pretty good at stopping them. <laughs> they're going to be my next person to come up and help me with the next trick, which involves a whip or a gun or a rope. That's unreal. It's it's easy reality. Reality. You do not condone any violence of any kind. You will only be in self-defense. And if you fuck yeah. up the show, that's self-defense. <laughs> <laughs> don't bring a, don't bring a, a whip to a gunfight pretty much is what you're, what you're saying what i'm saying is yeah that's one thing and plus i have a, a hundred foot rope and i can rope you from the end of the theater back and watch you get dragged <laughs> all the way over so just talking about the roping I mean that that's your world record isn't it the, the was it the most amount of people in a in a loop Times two uh so i have two world records one of them is for holstering so i had to with my holster uh, and my guns on, I had to take the holster, put it in, pull my hand out, put it in. And each time I had to uh, move my hand away, move my hand away. I'm really disappointed. You're seeing my laundry anyway. Uh, in, and so I had to do the world record was 30 and, uh, Guinness in England, the UK, uh, they have a show called, um, you're amazing or something like that. They called me up and said, we're going to do it at this place where you want to do it. I go, well, try to do it at uh, whatever wild West town. It's 109 degrees there. We get there and I start doing the gun spinning with the, with the witness and everything. And it's so hot that my gun slips out of my hand, falls on the ground and it breaks this part here called the ejector rod. And I go, Oh, and the guy is like, Oh my gosh. He goes, you have one more chance. But what he didn't know, is that I actually set that up to happen on purpose. So I actually dropped the gun on purpose. It fell down. They're like, we're freaking out. We came from England. I'm like, you're all good. So then I took it again, and the record was 30, and I holstered it, and I'm like, did I do it? And they're like, you got 44. So I'm the fastest, not at fast draw, but the fastest to withdraw. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's another Hollywood joke. Yeah, good night. Nice. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it is another. That's a good one. Uh, me too. So, and then the other one for the roping is I did it at a rodeo. I set it up and I took a hundred foot loop, big loop, and I you can see it online. And I spun it around uh, an amount of people. I wanted to do more. The record was like seven. I'm like, this is real, and I wanted to do forty because I had done it. But one thing you should know about roping is that uh, if you get out inside or if you get outside and it's windy, it's like being a kite flying act. So I'm trying to spin a hundred foot rope. And when you spin out a hundred feet of rope, it is about a hundred pounds that you're spinning. 
And I've got about 15, 13 women and one guy, a little disappointed that he was on my, could you step out anyway, but 13 women and I'm spinning it around there and they say, Oh, you have to keep going. I'm like, it's been a minute. I'm over here going ah, on camera going, fuck, fuck. And the news is there. And after about <laughs> two minutes of spinning a rope around 13 people in the middle of an arena with the wind blowing, they're like, you did it. I'm like, oh, damn. Anyway, I have the I world. Saw, I, saw one of the clips. I saw one of the clips of it. It is that performance on your Instagram. And you are spinning. You're still, it's like you're trying to hail a taxi in New York. You're just, you're giving it sucks and no one's paying attention. It's like you're, uh-oh, what? What the hell? We lost this. We lost, hold on a second. Hold on. I lost everything. I'm, I'm doing good here, right? Studios, we're trying to find the light here. Okay. I guess for people, I guess for people that don't know, <laughs> he's back. Hey, back. <laughs> you never called a production person, too. If you type in Will Roberts online into Google, which I was because I was checking out some research. I mean, obviously, we're friends and we know each other, but I was checking out some other stuff, and Dave was as well. The, the very one of the very top things that pops up now is Will Roberts' killer, which is pretty cool to be fair. I mean, obviously, yeah, because, yeah, because of the movie, because of the movie on Netflix. Oh, killer! I thought you said kidder. You're a kidder. Killer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, killer, if, killer. if you look on Amazon, you'll see there's a film called The Killer, or there's another one called You Think. Uh, uh, what's it called? Um, ABCD2. I filmed that in Mumbai. It's a Disney film, but is on uh, on as well as on Netflix. I was in there for 14 days shooting that, and then 46 days in Brazil, which was awesome. But you learn very quickly when you travel around the world that when you think you have it bad, you need to take a look around. Because I was in like the north. I wasn't in like Sao Paulo, where everybody's like, I was in the other part where everybody's like. <laughs> in the amazon so anyway crazy and because of your because of your world records and everything is that why you know are, there, are those producers looking for you for those movies because of your your abilities yeah you know uh i have branded myself as and i do a lot of modern weapon stuff i can pretty much spin a knife a gun a rope a whip i can kill a man with a crust of bread as long as it's two days old uh, but it, the, I specialize in what I call unconditional weapons. And because I've done that, I do get calls saying, hey, can you coach this person to be able to handle it? And then, you know, kill someone in a gunfight. And I go, yes, as long as you cast me too. And they go, well, that's kind of ballsy. I'm like, you bet, because you can't find me anywhere else. So uh, I've turned that around and being able to just because, you know, we don't want to get on sets and be like magic consultants. I mean, yeah, but would you, I mean, you'd rather be in front of the camera and be the person that they're getting the consultants for. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did that one. I've got a list of other films. I have some things that were supposed to come out, but now because of COVID, I think I'll film it in here with my clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I saw as well that you were on the show Lucifer, which is actually one of my favorite shows to watch. Obsessed. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I I was, was, was Lucifer for Halloween. That's, um, you know, really? Sad I am. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. You know, um, it was a guest star role. I'm sorry, it's a co-star role, which means like I have like one or two lines or whatever. But in the industry here in Hollywood or anywhere else, when you're doing TV stuff, it, funny for me to say, after 38 years of doing this, but you have there's a chain of 
how you have to do things and how much you have to do before they'll call you in for the, the guest star roles and so on. So I've got a hunk of stuff like that and some other pretty, pretty good films that I've done, but you know, it's all, a lot of it's politics and timing. I mean, unfortunately right now, I have to be honest with you. I, it is not a great time for me to be a middle-aged white guy. That's it. <laughs> but like cowboy movies are always a middle-aged white guy. Always. Yes, but now to be to surprise you that there's about five of them, I can tell you right now that they're now leading with African-American men, which is awesome because what people don't know about cowboys is that there were more African-American and Mexican uh, in, in the actual Old West and in Chicago and places you wouldn't think uh, than there were the uh, Clint Eastwood or uh, Daniel Craig looking dudes. Uh, but you know what? I, I still hold to the fact that when people go, hey, we hired you, like I did a music video recently, and they're like, uh, you know, we, we wanted you for the trick rope. And I go, oh, yeah. I go, that's a whip that you have. And they're like, yeah. Uh, oh, are you do you do that? Yeah. And they're like, oh, because we're in a bar scene, and the guy's playing cards. I go, uh, I'm also a magician. They go, what? So, again, the odds are I stepped in, and I went, did this, and now they're calling me up on other things going, and you're a clown? Can you do that? I go, absolutely. You know, so uh, I, I've been able to utilize my skills and find the work. Cool. Cool. Yeah, yeah that's definitely good. And it's even like ebbs and flows. Even you can see now that there aren't even that many Westerns being made as there would have been before yeah. it goes into the thing. That it's a, uh, it's, it's, it's now the superhero movies and that sort of stuff. But then they'll go back down, Westerns will come back up. And it's, uh, it all it all just depends. But you're right, and I am totally surprised at this point that between all the weapons I just told you about and the different things I do, I'm pretty surprised they haven't made up a superhero for me yet. Gambit. Yeah. Gambit would be perfect. <laughs> or so would to, uh, Jonah Hex. Yeah. So I mean, there's a lot of I've, – I've said it to me, and they go, yeah, dude. So when I do it, I'm going to call you guys because I'm going to need a, a posse. Yeah, right. We, 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 we create entourage. I actually did a, I did, I did a little bit of acting thing before with a with a, a theatrical group, and we um like that they wanted a guy who could do some card stuff as well, and I got roped in. I got to be a cowboy for a weekend, and we held up the town and we robbed the bank. Wow. And it was great. It was really good. But I remember they were like, "Oh, these guns, they they're real guns, but they fire blanks." Yeah. And I was like, "Okay, cool." So we had them, and you know, they give you so many bullets per per kind of. They were like they were like individual little shows throughout the day that we'd like run oh, in and hold doing... down or whatever. Oh, yeah. I see. Yeah, okay. But I remember this kid came over to me and he was like, "Oh, that's not even a real gun," and I hadn't even fired it yet. And I went, "Oh no, it's real." Listen, and I went bang, and the kid was like, "Ah!" <laughs> he just <laughs> he ran down the street, and everyone was like, "It was like I shot the kid." I didn't, just to be clear. But um, the kid, the kid just sprinted, and everyone was. It was the first gunshot fired of the day, and it was just. It was fucking loud. Was you know what? It must be because you had a what we call a full load in there. And when you shoot off a full load, it's actually louder than an actual ammoed, I mean, a shelled and a real bullet because the bullet helps compress a little bit of the sound. And a blank is just all out. Boom! And I, I have done that accidentally once in a restaurant I was doing. I forgot I had a load, but I never carry real ammo. And I'm like, yeah. oh, my friend is like, boom. I mean, the whole restaurant's like, God, no. And my friend's yeah. like, uh, what the hell did you just do that for? I'm like, I totally forgot I had a round in from our last gunfight. 
I remember reading it before. I don't know, is it like a Hollywood myth or whatever? But but uh, Clint Eastwood, when he was doing Dirty Harry and, and the movies, he doesn't re- he doesn't like guns. He's not a fan of guns or anything. Yeah. And that's where the squint came from. You know, when he squints with a, <laughs> he's actually he's actually I anxious. Don't about, I don't know about that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Check it out. We're checking out. <laughs> so I, we can move on now, I guess, to the thing you brought up earlier, which is your new website, the Basics of Magic, basicsofmagic.com. Uh, so what? You kind of touched on it, but uh, tell us more about it. I'll put up the web address there. Well, a couple of things that are happening is is that, number one, right now, uh, next weekend, there's a really cool thing on a site called, oh, look at you, Lower Thirds. There's a site that's called the Magician's Forum. Rudy, who interviewed uh, you, Steve, with me. Yeah. We'll have to interview you too, David. And uh, he has the Magician's Forum, which has, I don't know, a thousand or so people and people around the world that can join. For $10, he's got people on, the, on this next, live zoom uh steve bannon and a bunch of other people that are really well known i mean steve bannon's an irish guy isn't he i think he is bannon. uh yeah he, if you look at the uh he's a uh, scottish sorry, sorry. <laughs> it's, okay. it's okay that's that's fine we'll irish, scottish, we've shared australian it's all the same anyway <laughs> Uh, but he is going to be on with a, a four other magicians that I probably should know right now. Uh, but in any case, you can check out Basics of Magic. It's $10 for two days of a Zoom and then breakout sessions. And then you get the actual video. Uh, I'm, Rudy came up with this and I want to slap him a little bit going, 10 bucks. <laughs> anyway, and then you get the video. So that's going to be kind of cool. You can check out Basics of Magic. But the idea, again, was for me to create something where people that want to learn how to do magic can come there. And we have some tutorials. And I have right now a five-week course that I'm looking at doing, which I'm going to get magicians like you guys to come in and really teach the basics. Because it, I think we've mi- we're missing a lot of – not everybody, but we are missing some of uh, the fact that uh, don't tell the secret – performance a story pattern that you don't just get out of the trick when you buy it at a magic shop there's a lot of elements in there that i really want people to get to do magic plus here in america we're gonna be on lockdown again soon and we'll be in our closets and trying to figure out what the hell to do in the watch and why not learn how to do some magic with some professionals so that's up there too if you check that out and it also has this uh, on the site where we have product which by the way i'm going to put a thing out there to any magicians that are interested i will take packaged meaning you already have the trick ready to go to market or a book or something like that a download and we will sell them on the site and you just have to direct message me on that because, you know, I decided I was doing basics of magic, but in doing that, I get a lot of real magicians coming to it and it is a brick and mortars, you can't use tricks and things. So uh, just trying to make it as across the board, giving anybody and everything some uh, basics of magic and then, and, and then some. I think any, I think any help to keep uh, brick and mortar shops open is, is crucial for the, for the whole industry. It is. It is mainly because that feeling you get, I think this is why people really get hooked on magic. When you walk into a magic shop, I mean, I can ask every magician that I meet, what was the first trick you learned? What was the first first trick you saw? What was the moment where you went, I got to do that? And, you know, it, a lot of times they'll say, well, I was at this magic shop. It was like in my town. And we're losing that because, you know, uh, Amazon and corporate America they don't, unless you're like a, and I don't mean this to be disrespectful, like a Murphy's, uh, where you got 5 billion tricks and you've got a big organization behind you. 
the small people like misdirection zucchinis a magic apple some of the places in my area we don't want them to go away hmm. it's even just for jobs it's like you got one of your first jobs at a magic shop and i've heard so many other big magicians now who started off at magic shops that was their first job and that's how they got into it and it's a uh, it's like an apprenticeship <laughs> sort of that that's where you go it is and you know and touching that on on that just a little bit is is that if you ask a lot of magicians i found like 70 percent ish i have will tell you oh yeah i used to work at a magic shop i mean i did i worked and they'll name the magic shop and i'm one of them and i've met a lot of them when i do my show i ask them have you ever worked at a magic shop and the other part about it is is that look man i would have been i was a skater and a bmx guy a stoner i would probably have been in prison right now and by the way i started off with escapes and I would have probably been in prison right now with that ward lock and trying to figure out how to uh, pick it or whatever and, and whatever the case may be. <clears throat> but magic actually, in essence, sort of saved me. It gave me skills and dexterity. And I did what I do now with all my different things because I started off in magic. So I love it. And I think it's a great thing for kids and families to learn. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great what you're doing. Like you said, I mean, the basics are crucial. I mean, it's it foundations of anything is crucial if you're going to do anything as a career path. If you yeah. don't know, if you don't know why you're doing it and who did it before you, then you can't escalate. You can't go forward. Right. And and one final note on that whole thing is is that don't just stick with magic. Um, learn how to do the magic part. Learn how to edit. Learn how to set up your own sound. Learn how to do all your own things because this is not 1955. And you're not going to be like waiting for someone on a bar stool in Hollywood waiting to get discovered anymore. You've got to get your own thing. I totally admire David. I don't know your, what your uh, character and what you do magic wise, but in regards to Steve, we've had this conversation and I highly respect the fact that you, Steve, have made a brand for yourself. However, some of it may have been accidental, but you have uh, the point is, is that you have stumbled upon and been able to cultivate a character and a persona and that is the key in this day and age with TikTok and as long as Trump doesn't take it away uh TikTok and Instagram and all that other stuff is is that people want to see one behind the scenes who you are and number two what's the mysterious thing that you are or interesting thing or sexy or whatever and if you can't do all those things and you're a performer most likely you are broke so you have to pay for all these different things like editing and shooting and doing and, you know, production. I always tell people, if you can spend this much, it's okay. So yeah. Yeah, it's very, even if, if Dave wants to even fill in a bit of his character, because his character will be a lot more driven on kind of mentalism and hypnosis and things like that. Yeah. So like, uh, I was kind of touched on this last time, but for me, it's more that I, I'm mentalist, but do I'm a mentalist on stage and I do a mixture then when I'm performing close up, but it's, I kind of theme everything around uh, scams and stuff like that. So like my character's backstory is I'm someone who got interested in street scams, poker cheating, trick out Monty and stuff like that. And then I realized that psychics are the biggest scams out there. And that's how I transitioned into learning mentalism, which yeah. is, it's, it's a correlation of my real life that I got into magic and then, noticed psychic stuff and that learning their secrets and that sort of stuff but i tried to make sure that all my everything is either around like car cheating or a street scam or then uh more mentalism -y, uh 
uh, routines. So like my last show that uh, Steve was working with me on was just am I psychic question mark, which is a tip actually for anybody who's trying to sell a show. If you put the word psychic in your show, you sell a lot more tickets than if you put magician in your show. But having just the question. And then my opening line is, uh, am I psychic? No. But what if I pretended to be? Could you tell the difference? And that was kind of like the angle of the show. And I think uh, think it's important to have that sort of character. No, I was just saying, when we initially talked about the show and when you were designing that, you know, we were even saying, like, even to, to flip it back to what I do with the Houdini stuff, I'm like, we were talking about, well, um, you know, that's very, like, Houdini in his later life as well. His, the kind of, his second career, is, as people like to kind of refer to it in his books, that when he started going down the medium side of things, the psychic and the exposure side of things. And that, that was a, it was a nice correlation between that and what Dave was trying to do as well, which was, which was a great success. I mean, it was a really good show. I mean, it ran for a little while. It was great. Yeah, yeah. then yeah. COVID, <laughs> COVID happened. Yeah, and now we're all trying to try to uh, figure out how to virtually do our stuff and say, "Here, pick a, oh, just think about." I don't know what the hell to do anymore. But you know, uh, that that's a very good point, and I and that's where again I said to myself, "Look, I got two different skills, uh, sets or things, the cowboy." And I've got the magic. So, you know, I sat and I went, what am I doing? This is a medicine show, medicine show magician. This is a huckster. This is what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And then so the same sort of thing is setting it up. And by having the actual skills of doing this stuff, it not only is some hokey thing that they go, oh, this is some guy who really wants to be a cowboy carrying a fake gun. And he's going to like do magic tricks. So I've worked really hard again being able to to do any of the stuff I do. I'm always constantly looking for a trick that would be a two-card money. I have a trick that I do. Uh, you know color money, right? Yeah. So yeah. I have a, a stage color money I made. And then from there, I take two cards away, and I do two-card money. And then in the end, I have a one-card money, and I'm gone. And it ends up being just a back. The point is, is that – you know, I just am trying to be able to facilitate and strengthen the, the your belief that when you watch this, you this is this is effortless. I'm not going. Look at me now. I'm doing a trick, you know. And then I go into the magic, and they go, "Oh, uh, gun spinning, ropes, whips, and a trick." I want that sort of uh, that misbelief or that belief that, you, that you're watching well, gonna, is there. I've got a TV pitch for you. Okay, so here's my elevator pitch for you, okay? Here's the show. You get 10 psychics to line up who know that they can read the future or whatever. You've got a whip, and you crack it at them. If it gets, if they get hit, they're not psychic. <laughs> I've, I've, well, I've, I could I've do a, a version of that. A circus crack. I could do a circus crack and take them all 10 out. So there You, you could uh, get six psychics and a game of Russian roulette. And then you figure Ooh. out. Okay. Take a bullet. Yeah. <laughs> they can stand in any order from one to six, and whoever is in the wrong place is I like it. that. Yeah. I'm looking for a good bullet catch. Maybe they can be the one to catch it. Yeah. Who says <laughs> that? <laughs> magician. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a real psychic. That would be the one to catch it. Um, anyway, so there it is. Have you worked much on bullet catches, the fact that you have the guns and stuff? <sighs> you know, I've stayed away from them because unless it's like – really cool and foolproof um i haven't really you know taken on it because i kind of think that it's not it's just 
you know, Chung, uh, what's his name, Chung Lee, or it's it's kind of overdone, and everybody goes and spits it into a deal. I'd have to have something that was really totally awesome. And to be honest with you, I would probably need to have it something where I would literally just go like this and go boom, and then someone would doom, and it would be a passing moment. I don't know about setting up, you know, like the whole thing because, you know, back in the eighties when magic was in what I call the uh, gut gutting your um, senses and your body magic where like, I remember there was a guy that had a radial arm saw and the woman was on there. Ah, there's blood everywhere. Ah, you know, I was like, oh, okay, that's where we're at now. Um, I, in this reality TV world, I don't know if that would fly real well, unless you did something that you could eventually do on uh fool it or whatever the case may be. It's gotta be something that's really awesome, but I don't do magic for magicians. I hate to say that because I think that's just a, in my opinion, it's a waste of time because you're doing something that you're doing 19 moves and they go, I don't know how you did that. And the spectators going, I don't know why you did that. It's so Took you 20 minutes to guess the card and it's been standing in front of you. Anyway. It's that thing we were saying before the, um, you, you only need five tricks. Like me and Steve have talked so many times. We've developed a new trick. We're very excited about it. We get to a gig and we decide, no, I'm just going to stick with the same same shit that we always say. I was like, we ring each other after a gig and be like, oh, did you try out your new your new idea? No, same no, shit. That's Stop funny. I, I came up with a, uh, a really cool change and then I was able to throw the card down and the change visually. And I did this and I over the back and out of my mouth and all this shit. And then I finally got to the game. I'm like, yeah, that's a lot of work to just do this. I mean, why don't I just do that? You know, ambitious therapy all day long. Yeah. You start thinking nowadays that uh, you gotta, it's the same thing with my, my weapon skills. Uh, a lot of my friends that spin guns and do whips and ropes will do all these things where they're like over the shoulders and they're juggling two of them. And, and I'm like, look, if I can't just roll over and kill someone, then I don't really care. I just have to be able to grab it and shoot it. And boom. Uh, I, I don't really care if you can juggle six things. I think that detracts from the, the actual thing that if you can just go boom and they go, Wow, did you see that in between when he got to the here to there? I would rather have magic that you simply go, good. Yeah, that's it. Like I, I did in that uh, promo with the blank card. I, I think what you're what you're saying really with, with that as well with is like back to the basics of magic. It's that it's simple and it's direct. It can be explained. And I don't think if you were in a gunfight against like I don't know, Billy the Kid or something. I don't think he'd be juggling. He'd just bang and you'd be, and you'd be out. That'd be yeah. it. And, I, I, you know, I, he, um, he would be measuring you before you had time to, to the smoke come off the gun. Like, Yeah, i.e. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. The guy's got the gun and he goes, got the whip and he goes, forget it. Boom. And he shoots him. I mean, the yeah. same, old, same old thing. So I was watching a corridor crew do a yeah, stuntman react where they had a, a guest stuntman in, and he was talking about his pet peeve is spins in sword fights that don't advance your position in any way. And he was like, why didn't he stab him in the back? Why didn't he stab him in the back? Or a swinging to miss. <laughs> I'm not swinging for your head, I'm swinging for your sword. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that flat fight. And it's the same with the uh, a lot of the other things you see in, in movies like that, where the choreography is choreography and not yeah. how it should be in real life. And I think it translates to magic as well. 
Right. Well, it's the same really sort of thing in magic as well as like, you know, the, the whole cool thing now with uh, cardistry. And so here I am spinning a thing on my finger and I'm rolling the cards over like this. And people are like, uh, what the fuck are you doing? I mean, can we just see a trick or what? You know, a lot of the cardistry people I know are phenomenal. I mean, like, damn, they're like Olympic and they're doing it. And I'm like, damn, but they don't do a trick. And it's like, OK, I get it. You're just doing a flourish and it's going to be cool and that's wonderful. But again, I think the problem nowadays that I'm seeing a lot of with people doing card magic, especially, is they go, yeah, we're going to do this and you're going to count down 12 and you're going to go like this. And you're going to spin around backwards, spin over your shoulder and do this. And then when you turn around, I'm going to do this. And then when you get back in five days, I'm going to tell you what card you had. And you're like, I don't know what you want me to do right now, though. You know, it's so confusing. There's so many levels that it's like. I mean, can you not just be basic and say, here's your card? I know you should have some stuff and there are things and tricks and packet stuff, but I don't know. Sometimes I think we're getting a little lost in the fact that you are able to do a downs palm and pull out, you know, six coins or whatever. And you're not just, you know, doing the basics. Yeah, I think I think masters like that, that really kind of figured that out early on in their career would be like, you know, Slidini and, and people like that, you know, that was very simple. It was a coin, like his one coin routine. Even like people more modern than Slidini would be like, you know, um, Michael Lamar and, and Di Vernon. It was very, it was very simplistic, but it was perfect. Yeah. It was even David perfect. Blaine. David Blaine's for special was simple to the yeah. point. Yeah. And that, and that yeah. truly, I agree. That is truly, you know, I see some of these people that do a lot of the stuff they do, and I'm just like, you know, again, there's no, performance there there's a lot of technicians in magic and i mean don't get me wrong i, I wish i was you know 100 percent more technical than than i am but there's a lot of people out there that you go uh you know that's cool they're doing a trick but i just i just you know as we learn more skills and we have more of the uh cardistry and so on i don't know i think we're getting a little farther away from the magic parts but that's okay I just know from performing myself that if you someone pick a card, put it back in, and you throw that card against the window without even thinking, and it's on the other side, that's much stronger than doing a lot of different cuts. And, and it is entertaining, and it's good to watch. But then when you find the card, you've lost all momentum because they're like, well, he can cut it 50 different ways. Of course he can find my card. Yeah. But I think if you do something quite quick and kind of a kind of an aggressive type thing, it just, it, it just plays way bigger always. It just takes them by surprise. Well, look at the, uh, you know, you know, you can do it nowadays instead of just doing Bill in the Orange, it's Bill in the Orange, it's in the egg, it's in the walnut, that's in the thing that's in your family's DNA. And you're like, ah, damn, you went. I think keeping it simple is very important because I, I think it depends as, as well what you're going for. There are people who want to be the flourishy card technician, magician. And then like for me, my ideal trick is I put a card face down on the table. I ask you to name a card and it's the card on the table. Simple, plain. And even I was looking at the we were talking about the bullet catch earlier that people everybody's now doing it like in the mouth or catching it with their teeth in a cup. Da, da, da. So if I was ever looking to something like that, I'd be like, okay, let's strip it back, catch it in your hand. Nobody's catching it in their hand anymore because right. everybody went to the mouth. So sure. sometimes going back to the basic of a trick makes it new again because yeah. that's uh, why we have that's why we have the Dininger books that are really you ever seen those with they're awesome they're like turn of the century and it's all like this really weird contraption shit and it's like well that's why would i ever think and then you look through stuff like that like you know i have i don't know if i told you this, steve but i have a collection of about 900 
books that I got by collecting and their uh, Library of Congress and so on from the 17, 18 and 1900s. And I got a, and bought a lot of them and they're all PDF. I have to figure out how to put that library together and sure. be able to offer it to people. But when you look through some of that stuff, you'd be amazed at some of the stuff you see that even if it's like, it, to me, it's like doing out of this world with the deck. I don't know if you know that one where they do yeah. this and they separate them. I love that trick. And people are like, damn, I must have took a long time to learn. I'm like, oh, separate the cards and color. Just <laughs> Good. And and look, I don't have any problem with that. I'm not going to run around doing ball vase unless I give a little extra hop to it. But again, I'm just saying that some of this stuff is a little bit uh, overboard, but it's cool. You'll figure yeah. out the thing. Even for me, like with the Out of This World is a great trick example of it because it's in a lot of beginner magic books as the method where you were hinting at there a while ago. But then you can't, the deck can't be shuffled or you can't just go into it at any stage you want. Right. But then it's like you always do it that way. And then I was like, why would I learn a new method for Out of This World until I saw one where you hand the spectator deck, have them shuffle it, and then you do Out of This World. Right. And I was like, okay, I'll learn that one because. Right. It's actually I mean, simpler. Yeah, like, that might be. I mean, it's not going to be simpler. You'll have to do a deck switch or something, but. No, it's it just more. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good method. <laughs> but. We'll uh, talk anyway. about it later, or then we'll sell the method. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, then. But, um, so, so we're back to the, just the, the stun stuff, because I mean, that, that's obviously how we got talking initially and stuff. So you said very early on in your career, you started doing stunts. Was there a particular one that you was like your go to thing to do? Because obviously, Dave has worked with me and, and we've worked with TV stunt guys and, and crews like that with some of the stunts that we've done. So is there anyone that stood out for you that was like your go-to? Uh, stunts or uh, when we talked about how I started in the beginning and did escapes, I mean. Yeah, uh, yeah. stunt escapes, yeah. Oh yeah. Um, well, I mean, first of all, I'm always the guy when, because I'm very physical, that if so, we're doing a stunt fight, I'm the guy that you're gonna do what's called the Charlie's Angels and I'll flip in the air, or I'm the guy that's gonna, I'm usually the punch, take the punch guy because of all my physicality and things I've done. Um, you know, I, I, I would have to say that, really in regards to escapes. And again, I, I told you the story that when I was uh, starting out in the beginning, big, huge fan of Houdini, obviously, and studied and did everything I could possibly do to try to recreate that. But unfortunately, I got stuck in a trunk once. And that was kind of the end of it because I'm like, damn, I'm a little more claustrophobic than I want to be. But I was hardcore. I mean, my record was 16 pair of cuffs, hey, uh, uh, hogtied, and if you you know what a hog tie is, you don't go, I'm going to get out of this. Because the minute you do that, you're choking yourself and you're yeah. up like a hog. And uh, and then I was in boxer shorts and literally was on um, impromptu. And they said, and the guy said, here, can you do it? I'm like, yeah, you bet. It was the back of the magic shop, which would have been really weird if there was a video back then. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, give me, give oh me. God, a, God, uh, you were TikTok famous way, way back when, for all the wrong fucking reasons. <laughs> I, would have been, I would have been viral in many ways. Yeah, for sure. In many ways. Uh, because I was thinking back then, because I was really running a lot. I was in like silk running shorts, because that's what they did in the 80s. I would have been in like silk running shorts and 16 pair of peerless cuffs and hogtied. And I was like, and within 10 minutes I was out. And the, the only reason I really did it was because the magician that said, Hey, I don't think you can do it. Cause I can put you in one rope and one cuffs and you'll never get out. I go, bullshit. Anyway. So I did it. So I was really kind of very, my biggest stunt was just cuffs. I just yeah. love doing 
cuffs and doing something like that. I did, you know, there were a couple of jail things I did, but I just was a, I loved, and I collected at one point cuffs and I had a couple of really cool, like you've got the, the beam or the, the ones that are the standard ones and stuff yeah. like that. And I was really, really, really big into locksmithing big. And I now have, I wish I had it here. I have something I'm going to try to send you. Uh, talk about, talk about your show. I'm going to, I'm going to go get something. Can I show you something? Yeah, 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 of course. Of course. Go ahead. I'll be right back. So, Dave, I think we should do the um, the. Oh. Gone, is it? Oh, we're back. No, sorry, I, sorry. Put it until it comes back. Oh, it's just to see that. Um, I was yeah. saying we're just gonna do. We'll finish off. I think with the um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I think it's ties yeah. in quite well with the with all the cowboy references for, for this episode. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, very, very interesting so far. Uh, great hearing all the experience from Hollywood to performance yeah. and being like an all-around performer and how that actually gets you more work which is like we know that that just like you show up as the the magician at a gig and suddenly the MC hasn't shown up or something and you're like oh I, I can do that as well and like oh your audio is not working I actually know how to fix that <laughs> and then people will book you because you're going above and beyond Absolutely, you know. I mean, I, I only started doing the presenting one and the the emceeing when it when that was the case. You know, turned up at an event and something had gone wrong. They're like, "Can you fill?" And you know, but that means that's I the difference. Find it. I have. Oh, a, I'm so sorry. I can't find it. I have something I'm going to send you. I'll get your address. But I found this. I, I mean, for the longest time back in the '80s when I started in '81 or so in Magic. I was really big into uh, into locksmithing and escaping. And one thing that I found is that uh, getting a set of picks made was virtually impossible back then because you had to have. And I, a friend of mine recently in the last 10 years gave me a really cool thing with a badge on it that was actually licensed. It was a lockpick kit, but I couldn't find them. But on eBay now, you can find this stuff everywhere. But there's a thing I'm going to send you that looks like a pocket knife. It's this big. And it, it looks like a really shiny pocket knife. And when you open it up, it has a tension wrench on the back. And it mm -hmm. has five, a rake, a pick, um, a feeler. And it's awesome. I mean, I have like five of them I bought. I'm going to send you one because you just flip it open and you blah, blah, blah. Because people like you and me, when you watch TV and they go, yeah, I'm going to pick a lock. And they grab a toothpick and they go like this. <laughs> you go, what the fuck are you doing? That's not how you do it. Anyway, it's it's like uh, it's like MacGyver, man. I used to love that as a kid. You'd watch MacGyver, and he'd be like, he'd be locked inside a fortress, and he'd get out with a packet of chewing gum and a toothpick. It's like, <laughs> what's going on? Oh, There's one thing I saw actually online. Uh, I can't remember which site exactly, but you can. I think Brian Brushwood's website has them. But it's a uh, shoelaces, and the end of the shoelace is a handcuff key. Oh, so, that's cool. Yeah. So you just ch change your shoelaces to handcuff. You have, to have though. You would have to have in the shoelace though, and on the end of the cuff key, at least a flange that you could yeah. turn. You, you, I don't yeah. know if you're gonna be able to get that tension out of that. <laughs> you know what I mean, Steve? It's like one of those things where the method is cooler than the trick, and you're like, "Look at my fucking shoe! It opens my cuffs." Yeah. Even just as we're talking about character, as the escape artist, and people are like, "Oh, you're really an escape artist." You can just be like. Well, look at my shoelace. You <laughs> never actually have to use it. It's just a something to add to your character. <laughs> you didn't think you didn't think these are really my teeth, did you? It's a yeah. check. <laughs> there you go. We were, and we were, I, have those, I have one of those guns 
which are totally useless. You know mm. what I mean? It's a gun, lock picking gun. Yeah. I'm mean, you're going gun gun gun. Son of a gun gun. You, Get it. Give me a you can't, you can't feel what you need to feel for. You can't feel anything. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Anyway. Um, we were just saying that we, we, we wrap up with some of the what we obviously the podcast is early days, but we wrap it up usually with the good, the bad, and the ugly. So it's usually like what we think the good, the bad, and the ugly is of magic now, or the good, the bad, the ugly of like your career or or whatever, whatever you want it to be. Uh well. Um, you know, I, I have to say that uh, it, it, I think this is maybe a good moment to reflect and maybe even ask you guys briefly, but what is something that's happened to you on stage uh, with a uh, your act that was really, really bad? Um, <clears throat> and I, I have two, but I'll make them quick. One is that I used to have an incredible dove pen when I was younger in my 20s. And I did a TV show and I did, I came up with this sort of little funny bit. I'm always trying to do like a Valentine uh, type of act. And I did this thing called instant elephant. And you put the, basically I would do the flash pan, put it in there. It had a bag. It says instant elephant. It had a little uh, a luggage tag that said elephants, Gerald. And, you know, cause it was an instant elephant. And then I had uh, a, a leash, like a, you know, the, wired leash anyway well the next part of that was i was supposed to produce a rabbit and it was my rabbit houdini that was one of four i had because houdini got too big and so i'm like getting ready to do the act and i'm like okay houdini i'm getting in there i'm like yeah son of a bitch he's getting too big did it boom dead no way on tv yeah he died yeah and mm -hmm. then he died the, the rabbit died. <laughs> All right, let's play that off. Oh, good boy. <laughs> you know, you're doing your best Rocky Raccoon. Yeah, yeah, Rocky. <laughs> Ooh, he's really loving me. Oh, God, he's dead and peeing on me in green. <laughs> Yeah, Rocket uh, Raccoon is all you could do there, really. Didn't work. And then the other thing really quickly is I did Pippin. I was doing, when I in my younger parts of my career, I was doing some consulting with magic like Pippin or Carnival. And I was in Pippin, and I designed this whole illusion that was a, if you know Pippin the musical, in the end, Pippin gets into this big thing, and all of the uh, players are mimed out and they're going, ah, come on, Pippin, go in there. It's basically suicide in the musical. And he gets in this thing and it's a magic trick. Well, I was designed from the college that was doing it to do this trick. And I go, here are the plans. It's going to be this. I'll work with you guys in the shop. They build beautiful sets. And about a week before they go, well, where's the fucking trick at? I'm like, I don't know. I'm supposed to be building with your crew. I gave you directions. They're like, oh, that's just too hard to build. And I'm like, well, what are we going to do? We open in a week. So we built, they built a, a four-wheeled platform that had a frame from a door on it. They put Mylar curtain on it. And I went, can you do anything with this? I'm like, what would he want me to do? And they go, how about uh, we just do something? I go, well, if we put a flash pot in the back, at least we could do this and you could do something. I won't be responsible. And please don't put my name in the program about this. So what we did was we did like 20 performances and uh, I had flash things put together with magnesium. So it was boom, not, not a lot of smoke. Well, what happened was the guys doing that started using black powder. So oh. the Sunday crowds, which you call the blue hairs, were basically there. They're old. And basically I did the first one and I went behind the curtain. And I don't know why I did this, but that day 
I decided to do a start your own match, you know, the clip. So yeah. I had it on my tunic and my tunic was made out of like uh, burlap, not flame proof. And I go and he, they go, come on, Pippin. And I go, oh, going in in mime. And I'm like, didn't go off. So the wire broke and the pod. And I'm so I went, how did I even know this? Boom. I pull out the match and I do it. And it goes, because they changed it into black powder. So the smoke's billowing through the crowd. You hear people in the audience who are old going. <laughs> anyway, fast forward to the last night. We've got a full crowd. We're in there. We'd already had this problem. Now, what you don't know is, is that the flash pod they made out of was out of a wall socket. They took a piece of wood. They put in two copper things like this, and we wrapped around the wire. And I'm like, hey, man, uh, how did you keep that on there? It just fell off. And they went, oh, we're good. They took duct tape. And hot glue. And this is a, like a professional theater. And so the last night they're going, okay, we're going to do a little joke on Will. And they put in a, like, it was a flash paper thing this big. It was a fucking mortar. And I'm like, okay, cool. So we put it there. I look back because it didn't go off. And I luckily, I went like this. And I went, what the hell is this? I went like this. I saw the devil. It was like, flames everywhere my tunic's on fire the the duct tape that they put around the whole thing was on fire there's a fire and and you can see the players because they were supposed to go like this to the entrance they go like this they're freaking out and i'm over here going (laughs) there's smoke everywhere and i go to put out the fire because the duct tape's on fire and the hot glue to stick it on there because it's a flash pod and basically i went like this and the duct tape was on fire and caught in my hand and i'm like son of a i go out and i go ta-da and i hear because my hands had third degree burns on them. We closed the show that night. The director's like, what you do? I'm like, are you high? You just put a flash pot on and made it out of a wall socket and then fixed it with duct tape and hot glue. What do you mean? Anyway, that was my, that's my horror story. So that's good. Well, bad well, that is definitely a good, bad and the ugly of any yeah, story. Kind of deal, like, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That had it all. <laughs> I hope I didn't make the show go too long. I'd love to think that somebody who saw the show was like, wow, the special effects are amazing. And they bring their buddy the next night and the show is just like a normal show. And they're like, yesterday his hands were on fire. It was amazing. It was Armageddon on stage. It was like, it was so bad. And then they, they, that director's like, I'm not going to probably have you come back again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I won't risk my life for you. Anyway, that was cool. it. That's nice. Very good. Steve, do you want to share any short horror stories that happened to you? On- um, there's loads of them. There's so Dave. many. Uh, one actually, because because it's related to Dave, is I went down to do a show with Dave one time down in Cork, where where, where Dave is from, and he was like, "Just do something, you know. You're only doing a spot in the show, so just just do whatever you want to do." So I was like, "Maybe I'll do a night uh, a card stab," and he was like, "Oh yeah, cool." So he was like, "Yeah, what knife are you going to use?" I was like, "Oh, probably this dagger thing that I had." And I, we showed it to him, and we worked out what handling I was, was going to do, like the Max Malini type for anyone oh, yeah. who knows. And um, so I went up, got the guy on stage, did the whole routine. The first part was I have his hand down and I'm blindfolded. So I do the knife through his fingers. 
So the guy's hand is on the table and I do this first and that's fine. But the dagger that I was going to use, I forgot. And I only had like a pen knife, you know, a normal opening pen knife. So I'm using that and um, I'm going through the act. But as I smack it down into the first the first card, it snaps shut. And all of a sudden I just felt this like cold, you know, flash of air right across my hand. And I was convinced my finger was gone. So I just like paused for a minute and I was like, okay, no, one, two, okay, no, finger. But the audience were all stunned silent. It was just a kind of a moment. So I just, just really quickly, I was like, no, no, no. I was like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Just had to play it off as best I could. But there was, it, it did nick me, but it didn't take the finger off, but it had, it had nicked me. So I had to. But did you bleed? Yeah, I did a little bit. Yeah, the blood was a good way to mark the cards. I was like, oh, there it is. Yeah, because I did that once while I was doing my act and I cut myself with my knife and the 20 minutes of the act was gone because everybody's just like, he's bleeding really badly. He's bleeding. So, yeah. Even even David Blaine, actually, there's an episode of one of the first seasons, I think, of your show. I think Magic Man, I think it is. And they pushes down for anyone who does if there's a little public service announcement if you do a card stab don't use a steak knife use something that will stop your hand when you slam it down because your hand will run down the blade and it'll cut your hand yeah or collapsibles or that's, collapsibles. Why use, that's why i use butterflies yeah yeah i, I do now i do now <laughs> anyway Dave, do you have one quick one uh, a quick one i was doing the uh smash and stab routine uh using marshmallows uh, method uh, instinct things called for anybody who, who knows it. So the yeah. four cups, made sure everything was right. Started the the routine, uh, went and I was like, okay, I know it's in one of two, <laughs> but I'm not sure which one of the two it's in. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'll eliminate the ones that I know it's not in. Slammed my hand down on them, and then it was down to two. And I looked at them and I was like, okay, it's fifty fifty. We might as well give it a go. And then I also thought the spike is like this. So if I hit the cup at an angle, even if I'm wrong, it will, it might just catch my webbing and cut me there. But it's because uh, I don't use a spike as well. I use a rusty nail because I think like tetanus is funny. So I was like, I'll do it that way. So uh, I was like, it, it, it's a screw. It's a screw actually. So I was like, it will cut me. But I hit it at the angle and I, I guessed right, luckily. So I wasn't. Oh, I didn't put a yeah. After that, I was just like, I'm gonna triple check and like make sure I that's never happening again. And yeah, that's I, have that trick. I have that trick, and I bought it. And as a huckster, I kept thinking, you know, I'm gonna try to do this. And I was talking to Brent of the Magic Apple, and he goes, Yeah, you know what? Just be careful, Will, because I've known a lot of people do that trick, and it's a pretty decent one. Uh, and he goes, I just can tell you so many people that have impaled their hands. I'm like, wow, maybe I'll do like a Jesus angle. Yeah. Definitely. I, I always use my own hand. Steve uses other people's hands, which is oh, good. for himself. Yeah, I don't have that insurance. Oh, by the way, really quick announcement. Can I make some an announcement on something? Yeah, um, you know, my I have a company called the Reenactors Group, and we have reenactors insurance that allows uh, reenactors to go out as long as they're historical reenactors, and they pay $48 a month. I'm sorry, a year. <laughs> And they get two million, five million insurance. Well, recently I talked to my underwriters because 
you know, if you want insurance as a magician or a clown or a balloon artist or any variety performers, it's like basically starts at like $245 for a year to do it. And if you make over $30,000, I always thought that was funny. Like if you make $275, who are you talking about? <laughs> anyway, it costs like $270 for a year. I just got a line of insurance. I'm very excited. That's $2 million, $5 million. That literally cost the performer $90 a year. So I'm pretty excited. It's on the uh, Magician's Forum. Uh, I'm sorry. It's on the, my Basics of Magic. You'll see it says Performer's Insurance. I'm very excited because I checked everywhere. And so pretty excited by that because it allows people to do it. In this day and age of Sue Happy America, if you're in America, they'll sue you if you don't dot the I or cross the T or say it wrong. I'm uh, pretty excited that I have that available now. That's, That's great. Well, I mean, even uh, I mean, one of the funny questions people ask me is like, can I be insured for some of the stunts? I mean, I've rang up insurance companies just because it's fun to hear them going, "You're doing what?" You know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would say, I would say yours would be uh, because I do deal in weapons and stunt stuff. Um, they would probably say, "Are you using sharp blades?" No. Is it an exhibition? Yes. Um, when you start putting yourself underwater and you're doing different things, that might be a problem. But I would say it's a basic demonstration. So you probably could be covered for two million, five million, as long as you said, I'm just doing a tribute show to Houdini. And they'll be yeah. like, who? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Eric Weiss. Yeah. Eric, Eric Weiss. <laughs> yes. Anyway, thanks cool. guys for having me on the show. Yeah, thanks, man, thanks for being here. It's very, very interesting stuff. Thanks for everybody who is watching. And we'll be back again in two weeks with another interview. So very excited about. So we keep it going. Thank you, everybody. And have a great weekend. I think, I think Will, Will has to play us out with some gunslinging. you got to do a whip. you got to do it in an Irish accent. Go. All right.